girls I join Good day, Amran. I greet you from the today rainy Midwest. How are you? And a good day to you, Jesse. I am well. I am here in moderately snowy Idaho, so some precipitation as well. <laughs> nice. My son Solace, who's ten, and I are in puppy negotiations right now. So, so like we're coming into mud season, and I'm like, can we wait this out? Like, I also want to hug puppies very much, but like. Maybe after the mud season. <laughs> yes, that is such a tough time to have a small creature that has to go outside. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's a wise. It's true. It's true. Also, we have dog doors, so it's just a free reign. Like, what pleases the dogs is what will happen. So I see. That does make sense. All right. Well, it sounds like you're being wise in your negotiations then. <laughs> you know who doesn't give a fuck about my couches? Ten-year-old boys and puppies. <laughs> the two of them together are a pair that will destroy your upholstery given the chance. No fucks for the couch in, in either of those fronts. So. <laughs> not not one found. <laughs> Nary a fuck. That's that's what you're here for. That's right. <laughs> Nary one. <laughs> so, um, that's hilarious. so we're going to get into today's group, which I'm very excited about. But first, I wanted to give you a couple of just like interesting little um, communal living updates. Number one, since we talked about the Amish last week, I just wanted to tell you like something cool that happened yesterday. Um, my Amish friends called me up. They know I'm good for a pretty cheap ride so i don't charge them at all but they like they're used to paying for rides so they always voice they like to hide money in my car somewhere and force me to find it later because so that's a game of play (laughs) so uh one of them needed a ride home from the hospital their baby had been in the hospital so i would just was to pick them up and drive them out to their farm which is like a half hour drive so um Mm -hmm. I, I picked this guy up at the at his at the hospital and was driving him out so we had like half an hour in the car of dead silence to just be chatty. So we were just talking and I said, um, I said, Oh, I, I, he was, I said, how old is your baby that's in the hospital? And he said, Oh, 13 months. His name is whatever his name was. I don't want to, well, it's Johnny. Oh, Everybody's sure. named Johnny. Right. They don't care. That's fair. Uh, okay. So he was like, his name is Johnny. He's named after my wife's husband. And, uh, our daughter is named after my wife's mom. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. And I know that I just talked to your mom and you have a new niece that's named after your mom, Annie. And he said, yes, that's how we do it. You know, uh, we name, he said, yeah, that's, that's how I didn't pick up on this when I lived with the Amish, although I did see a whole lot of people with the same name, but he said, yeah, he said, it's very specific. Actually. He said, Mm -hmm. yes, uh, we, we name, uh, a boy and a girl after the guy's mom and dad, a boy and a girl after the girl's mom and dad. And he said, so we have two more kids to have to name after my parents before we have the next two kids who will name after she and I. And then, so we're six kids in before somebody gets a new name across the board. Yeah. I thought that was really, and he was like, not everybody does that, but pretty much everyone does that. I was like, that is more specific than I realized. And then I said, then this is funny because it harkens back to what we were talking about. I said, oh, uh, there's another Amish community up the road from you not too far. Um, And he couldn't even, I mean, it's it's truly like 
15 minutes, 20 minutes drive up the road. And he was like, yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, no, it's really close. It's a whole other Amish community. And then he was like, oh, yeah. And I said, you know, they're a lot more modern than you. And he goes, oh, the Pennsylvania Amish. Ah, <laughs> yes. Hilarious. I love that. <laughs> they're not even like on the radar for him. He doesn't even think of them as Amish. <laughs> he was like, the pennsylvania amish the pennsylvania amish that is hilarious yes i love their i well like i personally probably wouldn't love it if i was in it myself but i do love the amish naming tradition and they were like that um the tradition was very much in place in where i grew up and it was a lot of the same people names but it was actually so easy after a while to keep up with people's names because you would look at them and you'd be like well you're so-and-so's kid and there, and you could just connect it all the way down, you know, like it was that easy. <laughs> so, yeah, I would like literally. I had a woman that I was friends with who is an elderly woman, and her name was, um, gosh, it started with an M. Now I can't remember. I think it was just Marie, perhaps. And then she had her granddaughter, and she, and then she had her name as well. And we would all just see it would be very fun. So then they would have like nicknames, of course, if they, <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say because that's how they. You think it's like. It's so uh, comfy, cottage, cozy that it must be fake. But there really is like Tomato John and, you know, like <laughs> because there's 75 other John Schwartzes. So, no, that's Tomato John. Like that's how they get those those extra names. I just thought that was a, a funny little thing. Okay, last funny communal living story, and then I'll, we'll switch over to today's. Because literally, Amber and I was like waiting to get on this call with you. So I was just rolling through Facebook. yes. This is just funny. So uh, give me five minutes for the story, everybody. Indulge me. I've said it before. You're all here so that I don't have to corner you at parties to tell these stories. Right. So accept that that's what's happening right now. I love it. So here's a picture I'm showing you, Amran. It's it's just a guy way up in the top of a tree mm -hmm. uh, pruning trees yes. in the orchard. So this is a commune I lived on for a very long time that I love. And they have an orchard. Um lot of acreage on this community, like over a thousand acres. Um, but, but as in the, in the main part of the community, there's a visible, lovely orchard. Mm. Think of an orchard, will you? They have like rows of trees. They've been specifically planted. They're amidst open fields that are being actively farmed. Yeah. They're not, one might say, a part of the dark bramble wood, right? Not traditionally. That's a different, <laughs> no. you would see maybe an apple tree there. So I say all this to say, <laughs> this picture reminded me of a time when I was at this commune and they were having a big celebration, like an anniversary. And so many other communes had come to spend a weekend camping out there and celebrating, right? So it was a whole bunch of other communities. So there's this like really hipper than thou community that's nearby ours who's made up of people who are like loosely affiliated with this larger community that we're at but they're hipper 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 than thou do you know the kind i'm talking about where they're like oh is that is that cow cream in your coffee i guess because like just fuck the cows right amarin just fuck them right amarin you just hate jesse i live I live in Boise, Idaho. I literally, I am so sorry to other Boiseans. That is the only people that live here. <laughs> it's literally, it's all Patagonia down jacket, beanie, uh, oat milk latte, and judgmental stares. Like that is all we do out here, my man. That's all we do. It is exhausting. 
<laughs> so you know who I'm talking about. Now, these are people who take it a gajillion times farther, right? Like, like literally uh, one of these people who used to be my boyfriend and has tattoos on his face. And so is really dedicated to his cause of never having a job. By the way, if ever he listens to this, I actually love him, but he is a caricature of this. I think he can recognize that in himself. So one day we were, he can see, yeah. <laughs> This is an, another segue, but one day he was staying with me at a house in town. And uh, uh, mind you, we've driven to the house that I am renting with our, my car and money. Okay. Right. Okay. So we, we get there and when my cats have murdered a bird and brought it to my Naturally. porch. And he's like, we should eat this bird for dinner. And I was like, your brother works for Google. <laughs> we do. Like, <laughs> Your brother, we can't eat this bird for dinner because your brother works for Google Corporation, I'm afraid. We don't have to do this. <laughs> we don't. Are you okay? Yeah. Is everything fine? <laughs> like literally his family is like millionaires. He's like, we should eat this scavenged bird for dinner. I was like, can you, sir, there's food just inside this door. It's, I'm not eating this dead bird. Oh, as much as I respect the, um, the spirit found there and my youthful self that would stay outside in the winter to simulate little house on the prairie, as we've discussed, I do respect the heart there. Absolutely. Um, I do not respect the actual idea. <laughs> well, only one of us can afford a trip to the hospital and it's you relative of Google CEO. Right. Your brother's got you whenever you get bird avian flu poisoning or whatever it is you can get from eating random birds. My cat's killed, right? Cats are like so dangerous for you. Or or maybe they just found that bird and it's been dead for a long time because cats are also terrorists and they'll take credit for other people's work. That's true. That thing may be carrying like the next big disease for all we know, you know, like uh, not to be too sinister, but like maybe don't eat that one. If you didn't see it living, maybe don't eat it dead. And I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate, there was like newly bought seafood in the refrigerator just inside the door. We don't all have to be this radical. Yeah. <laughs> this was not an, an instance to start a revolution in the yard, you know, like it just didn't need to happen there uh this time so i take it all back here sorry that was a side path on a side path but so here i was at my at my commune years ago uh well just a couple years ago um at this big event and so one of the hippest of the hipper than thou i'm talking literal there's no chance he's gonna like move into the world of technology and listen to this i'm talking like a two-foot feather through his nose at all times, which all I can think about is how do you have sex? How do you have sex? That, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no idea. What do you do with your face, What, what happens sir? with your face in that moment? You can't turn your head. You better not. You put an eye out. You put an eye out. Yep. Okay. Anyhow, Valid question. So, you know, dreadlocks, two foot feather through the nose, like hipper than I'll ever be, right? Of course, yes. So he's, he's from this other community. So what happens is I'm like happily walking down a path and I'm walking nearby the orchard. Mm -hmm. Oh, and this community... Uh, really prides himself on how they mostly just forage things, uh, right? Okay, yes. Which actually means they're ripping up like a, a bunch of like native plants that are going extinct in Missouri that they absolutely should not be foraging and like selling them on the side of the road, mm -hmm. but what, to each their own. So, so, so he's walking up to me, we're crossing on the path and um, he says, uh, do you know, I'm not sure what I should do. I woke up and my whole commune had gotten in the van and left me here. Um, and so 
I don't, I don't know. Like they took all the stuff. They took all the food. I don't know what to do. And I said, Oh, well, I'm sorry. I can, I can uh, loan you my phone. You can call them. And he was like, none of us use phones. Ah. <laughs> and I was like, cool, brah. So I said, well, um, you know, I'd lived at this place for years and it was actually my job to greet the new people. So I'm very used to being like, let me show you where the granola bucket is. Yes. So I was like, well, that's no problem. Let me walk you up to the main kitchen. I'll show you where all the breakfast foods are. You've missed breakfast, but I can show you where everything is. And I'll just don't don't because it's I want to mother him. Right. So I'm like, right, don't feel stressed. Right. We'll figure it out. I can drive you back if you want. Like, I'll show you the kitchen. And again, he gets totally hipper than now. And he was like, yeah, I don't need the kitchen. I'm just going to forage some of these apples over here. And I was like, my bro, you're not foraging apples. That's an orchard. You're stealing fruit. Like, it, why don't you pull your labels? It just, like, he was like, I'm so above eating from your... I'm foraging... Not in the gar- you're not foraging in someone else's well kept garden. You're just eating their food, Peter Rabbit. That is, yeah, that's some rabbit behavior. That's hilarious to be like, yeah. Now I earned this. I stole this right out of somebody else's garden. Like we had, I you know, I am also from Missouri, and we there are like indigenous fruits and and edible, of course, plants. And I be- and like my mom would straight up do that to me in real life. Like she would straight up go into the back field and come back with things and be like, this we have forage. So this to my ears, truly laughable, I'll say as a woman from foraging backgrounds. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. No, foraging is great. It's wonderful. But he was so like you middle class, you know, white Karen trying to offer me your pre-made, you know, commune granola when I am so above that. And I'm just going to go over here and forage because the earth's bounty feeds me. And I'm like, that's cool, bro. But that's the orchard. You're not. Yeah, I'm just. Do you not see that the trees are in rows and they're mowed around and they're mulched? There's no journey to get there, my man. Like that's still the commune's food. It's really no different than the granola. Forage away, sir. No, Jesse, I won't have any of your commune food. Instead, I'm going to go forage at Subway for a little bit of lunch today. You know, like what? I'm going to forage for the exchange of of cash for goods. You know, like I what? At what point does the have? Do we have any meaning left in this? Right. Get thee behind me, commune, Karen. I'm here foraging from the wilds of this well kept orchard. And you are literally offering this man granola. Is my favorite part of this. Like the most literally a word we use now to describe like hippie commune earthy stuff. And this man is like, no, 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 no granola for moi. Thank you. You wow. basic bitch. <laughs> wow. Men are always getting it right all the time, aren't they? Wow. I love it for him. I'm so glad you get it, my man. So glad you get it. Wow. Okay. So that that's a lot of fun, that story. Thank you for sharing <laughs> I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that commune shared a picture of a guy trimming the orchard trees. And I was like, oh, I'm about to record. We're going to talk about this. That is worth bringing up for sure. I love it. Wow. And guys, if anybody knows the logistics of how you would have sex with a two foot feather in your nose, I'm just thinking like you can't turn your head. 
you could put an eye out. It seems that way to me as well. I'd have to think that was the case. Yeah. Or at the very least, like a lot of tickling in my eyeballs. See, I couldn't do that because I am one of the most ticklish people to ever live. So like looking at a feather alone could cause a problem for me. Um, much less if it was honestly just seeing a feather close to someone else's nose may make me ticklish. <laughs> honestly, when you described this person to me, I was already fighting a sneeze off. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm sure he's doing well and somebody will relate this story to him because he seems pretty recognizable. Anywho. Guys, we're here for the uh, season. Every season we do one episode that is about a fictional cult that I would join and we'll see if Amarin would. So this one, Amarin, do you want to announce it since I'm not surprising you and you know what it is? Yes, it's a rare opportunity for me to tell what it is. Today we will be talking about the sensational television TV show from 2016, The Path, ladies and gentlemen, starring, I have to say this because it's very fun, Idaho's own Aaron Paul. That's all I had to say. Also, lots of other great people. Yeah, you can get it, Aaron Paul. We we love you. Uh, you are a striking uh, powerhouse of talent. Yeah. Good for you. What we're saying, Aaron Paul, is what do you need from us? What we're saying, Aaron Paul, is if you really are getting your divine awakening, we might be interested in following you around. I don't know. Think about it. You already have so many fans and followers, so he's. But really, buddy, it's so it's right there for you. I think it's within grasp. So if you could be egalitarian about it and stay level headed, I think we might be interested. Okay, now we can get into the serious stuff. I am serious about that, Aaron. Please consider. Please. Okay, all right. Yeah, slide into our DMs, Aaron Paul. Slide into anyone DMs. Yes, either of ours or the the cult itself, the podcast. I think we're we're not the only people with that open invitation to Aaron Paul. <laughs> Certainly not. In fact, bless his heart, when he listed his home for sale here in Boise, um, he was uh, deeply harassed by people trying to get in touch with him, which always makes me sad. And so actually only peaceful wishes to the man that actually occupies the vessel of Aaron Paul, <laughs> because I did I did feel for like, of course, we have no idea who that man is. And I did feel for him so much whenever he was just talking about like how people were just harassing, <laughs> harassing them. And, and like fans, people that really did like him were just trying to use that. And yeah, that's not being a fan PSA. I don't think any of the Colts I joined fans would ever think that that was good fan behavior, but yeah, harassing him is a very sad thing. However, that was all after he, his time on the path. So we don't have to think about that today. <laughs> it probably is a burden to be that hot. I mean, I, listen, I don't know, but I suspect. <laughs> it's probably something he lives with every day. So that's, you know, we, we <laughs> more power to you, Aaron. More power to I'll you. I'll ponder this later. <laughs> All right. <so laughs> On my own. <laughs> so Amrit and I had both talked about, uh, we kind of googed the path a little bit just to give you guys. So hopefully we gave you a heads up about this. Hopefully all of you, as your cult leaders suggested to you last week, went and spent a week watching the path. So hopefully we're all on the same page. If we're not, I highlighted a little bit of stuff straight from Wikipedia. It's going to be about three minutes of reading. I'm just going to give you the synopsis straight from Wikipedia of what the path is, just in case you haven't joined that cult with us yet. Cool? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, here we go, guys. The Path is an American drama streaming television series created by Jessica Goldberg and starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, 
Monaghan and Hugh Dancy, all of whom are hot, by the way. All hotties, uh, every one of them. Hottie McCottertons. The show portrays members of a fictional re- uh, religion known as Meyerism. Uh, debuted in 2016, as Amron mentioned, its original title was The Way, but was changed to The Path uh, in 2015 due to its similarity to that of a real life ministry and alleged cult, The Way International, who we will cover in this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the premise, Eddie Lane, played by our our hottie Idaho friend. Eddie Lane lives in upstate New York with his wife, Sarah, and their two children, Hawk and Summer. They are all members of the Meyerist movement, which combines aspects of New Age philosophy, shamanism, Scientology, Christian mysticism, and utopianism, with a few elements from the Shakers, Sufism, Tibetan Buddhism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Freemasonry, again, all of which we'll talk about here later um, in the series, not all today. Some of us have to go back to our lives. Um, Buckle up. We're here for 12 hours. (laughs) Uh, Eddie returns from Peru where he had undergone a spiritual retreat designed to advance him further up the Meyerism's spiritual ladder. Unbeknownst to his family, Eddie experienced a revelation while in Peru, which causes him to question his faith in Meyerism. Meanwhile, Cal Roberts, a friend of Sarah's and one of the Meyerists' top leaders, is looking to expand the group's influence and deal with the imminent death of their founder, Dr. Stephen Meyer. Meyerism is a fictional movement founded by Stephen Meyer. In the show's mythology, in 1974, Meyer literally climbed a ladder of burning light atop Hayana Pichu. Guys, I'm real bad at that part. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, to receive Peruvian. the message. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm, I am a commune Karen and can only <laughs> do so you well at fine. this. He received the message of universal truth, um, and then he came to his followers with the instructions for their spiritual development written in the first book of Meyerism, The Ladder. Meyerists believe that all people are damaged, which is the cause of the world's suffering. Through personal enlightenment, they seek to become aware of suffering in themselves and others and to heal the world, caring deeply about family, humanity, and the environment. In this way, others... In this way and others, they can create here on earth the heavenly garden of Meyer's vision. However, the latter foretells that their efforts will be thwarted by non-believers or what they call IS or ignorant systemites. I love that they have like such a con, like a, like a, a I'm losing my words, um, a complex and systematic cult language. You know, that is my favorite thing. Yes, they are so, very non-believers. into their cult language. It's very fun. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, whose selfish actions will result in an apocalypse, but those who ascend the ladder of enlightenment will live forever in the garden, which is a, that's there. They're pulling that from Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, let's see. Doo-doo-doo. The movement is located all over the world. They've got about 6,000 members initially in the, in their fictional world. Um, but by season three, they've expanded massively all over the place um, through some nefarious means. Um, most members practice Meyerism in their everyday lives and live off-site, while others live in Meyerist intentional communities and have taken vows of service and dedicate themselves to counseling, recruitment, and outreach programs. Spirit, but uh, initially, it is also part of their religion to not actually uh, push. Well, first of all, they don't call it a religion, but it's part of their rules to not push their beliefs on other people or try to. Uh, evangelize or expand, but they kind of wrestle with whether they should change that in the show. Spiritual progress is evaluated on an ascending series of rungs from one R, one rung to 10 R, and many decisions are made by the senior membership, i.e. upper rungs or URs. 
Meyerists practice meditation and use biofeedback devices. They would be, that's a reference to Scientology uh, and drugs, including ayahuasca and cannabis to aid in reaching deeper levels of consciousness. They put considerable stock in visions and intuition, which they, which are believed to be the light, which is what they worship. They worship the light uh, communicating with them. All right. That was a lot of reading. That is straight from Wikipedia. That's a synopsis of the show. I love every single thing about it. I would join this cult in a heartbeat. Not only that, when I watched it at first and guys, it's streaming on Hulu and I believe is a Hulu original. Um, when I watched it, I was like, I will just join this cult, even though it doesn't exist. I will get a sunshine necklace. I will worship the light, which I'm into anyway. Uh, and I will just believe this religion without follow co-followers. I like it. I like everything about it. I like their structure. I like their belief system. Uh, yeah, I was like, I'll just I'll just do this on my own. I understand it's a fictional religion, but I'm doing it. I love it. You're just taking it on. Yes. There are like, I mean, I think that you're going to hit some good stuff with a fictional group like this when you're combining, like you've already mentioned, so many different elements of so many different movements and religions. Like, I would just call it like, not call out, but I would just say like, I feel like, yeah, they've like chosen, which I personally love and I don't want to get too meta too quickly, but I do love that this is like a group of predominantly white people. Um, doesn't seem to be not a thing in the show. Um, and uh, there are people of color in the show, which is, and they're important characters um, that are people of color. However, the main leading cast is Caucasian, um, at least presenting. And, um, I think that is interesting when you talk about like Peru is very significant to these people. There aren't that many Peruvians uh, that are, that are big speakers in the role. I don't think any of that is accidental. So I, I want to kind of like point that out early on. I think it's interesting that they do use ayahuasca and that they have a shaman and that these things are present, which are very good practices and beliefs. But yeah, it isn't lost on me that it does seem like there are a lot of white people sort of blending up, um, things that they like from a collection of other religions, which is both meta in the show being made and making it a cool show. But I also think maybe a little bit of a message that I would want to keep in mind as we talk about the path today. See, I think that's an intentional nod though. I think that's a choice like, cause that is exactly what new hippie religions in America are. They are appropriated from other countries. They are based on ayahuasca and it's white people, which, which on the one hand, I don't know what to tell you guys. Everybody else has more interesting cultures and I would like to learn from you. And, you know, so on the one hand, I really am like, ayahuasca is really helpful. I don't know what to say about it. I don't have to wear something handmade from Peru and pretend that I'm from Peru when I do it. But, but point being, I, cause I hear what you're saying about the choices they made. I suspect, I wonder if if they are intentional choices because that is in fact reflective of people in America making new hippie type religions. Go. I would say yes. I think I mean like I could be totally wrong but that's that is my guess. That is my my theory is that yeah, they are really trying to create like a, a mega group that sort of encapsulates some of the issues and challenges that you might see with any of these groups, arguably, and also like none of them, which is sort of a fun little thing they're doing. But I would just say like, as someone, I don't know, as someone who has more than a small interest in cults and communities and a lot of experience with 
with learning about them thus far in life, the show did a really excellent job of nodding to a lot of very real things, I would say. So that makes a lot of sense. I felt I felt like there was a lot of very specific undercurrents that felt that felt researched, like that were plot points within the show where I was like, you're doing this because this literally has happened in a cult before. And you're pulling almost like a criminal minds, you know, how criminal minds bases everything off real cases, almost like that, but it's cults. And this is like the criminal minds of cults. That's how this made me feel right. And it's better acted. And also it's everything at once in a blender, not like episodic things, but yes, absolutely. It's sort of like, it does feel very real to me in the ways they've included the real life connections is what I would say. That's really true. And as someone who comes from the communities movement, which is a utopian movement, um, it, uh, like it looked ext- extremely familiar to me. And I will say also wh- when I first watched it, my very first thought aesthetically looking at it was these people went to Twin Oaks, which is an FEC community on the East coast. Uh, very big, very well-established. Like some of their early stuff is in the Smithsonian as a display now, like Twin Oaks is a very well-known community. Um, When I saw the aesthetics, I thought somebody jaunted down from New York and checked out Twin Oaks because they're all driving around in matching Toyotas, which you do at Twin Oaks, which is so smart because then when a car breaks down and you have a fleet of Toyotas, you can part it out to fix all the other Toyotas, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's smart. Also, but the Toyotas are just, the supreme car. That's awesome. Yeah, no one's arguing that 100%. <laughs> so I have like, to get you that know, plug like, in. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's such um, a good so, point. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, though. Almost every move they made seemed so specifically um, tied to things that I really did see in the communities movement, especially being from a utopian movement, which they are. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and we won't, we don't have to talk about race the whole time, but I, in reference to what you were saying in the actual communities movement, which is a very large, very active, constantly moving thing. Um, it is extremely predominantly white. Um, and much like in the Meyerists where they're very, it is part of their religion that they like, regardless, look, we all have racism in us. I'm for sure. I want to say that, but it is part of their religion to not be racist. It's specific and overt, right? Like, it's, it's a thing that they discuss and like, we don't do this. Um, and certainly that's part of the communities movement too. Most communities movement people are leaning toward, if not actively following rules of egalitarianism. Um, so racism is a, is a hard stop and probably the number one thing they'd tell you they don't do, whether or not they in fact have microaggressions because they're still white people. Right. All that to say Complex. in the communities movement, it is overwhelmingly still white. And um, it's a constant um, issue for them because it's embarrassing. They don't want to be so white. They want diversity. If you're a person of color and you try to come into the communities movement, they're going to roll out the red red carpet because they crave diversity. Um, But uh, having never gotten very far into getting a critical mass of people of color in these overwhelmingly white communities for many years, they have tried to postulate like, what is the issue and how can we do better, right? In having more diversity. Well, for one thing, it's a hippie commune. So the culture is sort of, I'm saying in quotation marks, white to begin with. Um, I don't know a better word for it, but I'm definitely open to having a better one. Um, so not everyone of, of color 
who maybe even comes from a more recent immigrant background um, or who comes from like a more urban background is going to be like, oh, yeah, I love tie dye. Let me jump in on this. Like, it's just not their jam Mm -hmm. for one thing, which is also true of the path. Right. They're very, very, very hippie. Um, But it's anyway, in the real life utopian communities movement, that's a constant issue. And so I did notice that in the path and I thought. Oh, I get you guys. <laughs> yeah. This is tough. I get for it. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's accurate. And I think if anything, like, I think at its worst, this is definitely just, or I'm sorry, at its, at its, yeah, at its worst, I think it is a reference to just like the state of like what you're describing. That is just how it is. You know, like there's the, and it makes sense. Like we could literally talk for two hours about like the socioeconomic reasons that this is the case. And like, it literally, it's everything that's ever happened. So like, obviously we won't get all the way into that, but um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to acknowledge. And I appreciate your thought on that because it makes a lot of sense that um, it's not attracting the same people for a variety of reasons, but also that that would be something that would, kind of way on these groups of people, you know, because it is something that they are passionate about not having happen is like a segregation, right? Where their group is not filled with diversity and that not being their intention. That's important to call out. So that makes a lot of sense. Another common theory that like all of us, mostly Caucasian people have when trying to solve this problem, a lot something I've heard people say a lot in the communities movement is that, you know, because of where we are on a historical timeline, majority of people speaking, white people are are much more lined up to, uh, they have already experienced a certain amount of, of handouts or privilege in the world yeah. just by virtue of being white. Mm-hmm. And so it is actually easier for them to turn it down, to go like, you know, I've actually, I, I tried out college. I tried out a mid-level job, you know, and it it wasn't for me. I see the emptiness in it. I'm going to switch over to community. Whereas people of color are still trying to even get there to decide if that's something that they like. So they're, again, just in majority, maybe not in a place to blow it off when they are still trying to attain it. Right. Well said. Again, I'm... it, to me, it's something that really makes sense. And I hope that I'm articulating it well. And I apologize if I'm not. But that's, you know, let's get back to the path. But <laughs> yes, we're, because that's yes, <laughs> because that's a real, real thing in the communities movement. You know, we're always open to new ideas about how to adjust that. So oh, yeah, hit us up with your feedback. All right. And so back to the path. It's so pretty there. It is beautiful there. It is really I will say aesthetically it is um, it does have most of the things I'm looking for all the way down to the decision for their like spiritual sign, their symbol, their art piece in the homes to be like engraved of wood. Like, yes, that is, that leans so into me. I, uh, how to say it without, without totally ruining, um, the suspense of how I feel about this group. Um, it's okay. Guys, spoiler alert. Don't listen to this if you haven't watched it because we're going to spoil it. Go. That's true. Very big spoiler alert. I would say I truly love, um, aesthetically, I love it so much. And I feel like it's almost, the aesthetic is almost like the heavyweight, like the lure for people. It's almost like a, a lure on a hook. And it's like, well, aesthetically, doesn't this look so good? Um, because it does look really good. And I believe Aaron Paul goes on to describe it as a, a effing fairy tale, but it does look 
really beautiful. And I would describe it as a fairy tale. I mean, they're like literally protected from the evil IS, right? The people who are trying to drive the world into sin and ignorance. Um, They are separated from them by this gate. There's this community in the beginning. We're presented to their... I spoiler alert, not a spoiler alert, personal spoiler alert. My favorite character in the whole show is Hawk. I don't know what happened. I'm obsessed with that young man. I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen that actor before and I don't even know his name. I need to look it up to give him due credit, but he, um, assuming the pronoun there blew me away on the, the deliver the acting performance and the struggle. And I feel like the struggle that that character, that his character goes through is almost the struggle of the watcher of the show where they're like in and they're like they start in the family and they're like yes this is aesthetic this is amazing i love it and his desire in the beginning is to leave his school that he's at his public school because he wants to be so committed to the path to the truth and that changes spoiler alert a little bit as time goes on um he starts getting more complex ideas introduced to his brain by evil is people mainly um (laughs) but he tries a bite of meat and that is literally the slippery slope to him having sex. That is one of my favorite parts of the show. He has a bite of steak and then he is banging somebody in a car. That is the pipeline. Parents watch out. Um, raise your kids vegan. It's a pipe, it's a slippery slope. Um, but yeah, I think he just illustrates really well. I would say kind of this struggle of like, oh my gosh, you're pulled in. It's so interesting. But then it's like, well, wait, I have questions about the out, but then wait. And then you're pulled back in and it's so affirming and people are there to support and love and uplift you. So um, I feel I feel torn in a similar way to Hawk, I would say throughout the course of the show about the balance of aesthetics and like the undercurrent of what's happening also. Yeah, I think that it is an excellent illustration. And I, I think the thing that draws me into never being able to look away from cults is exactly that thing that he's going through as a teenager, getting ready to take his vows and understand if he, this is, they fully shun like the Amish uh, more so than the Amish. Cause you can say you're sorry and come back. If you're Amish, if, if for them, if you are labeled a denier, you can never return. Yeah. You can never be talked to. So he's getting ready to take his vows and he's a true believer because he was raised in it. And yet he starts to, he loves an outside girl. He tries a bite of meat. And then it's like, well, the meat didn't kill me. Even the sex didn't kill me. Like, wait a minute, how much more is there? You you know, the thing we all go through in being torn between such a, as you said, fairy tale, but a fairy tale you get to actually live in, you know, because some of the beautiful scenes that they shoot are like picnic tables laden with laden with homemade breads and foods, people running around in hippie clothes, white dresses, frolicking in gardens, singing songs. They all know guys, you could join a commune tomorrow. And that's what fucking dinner looks Mm -hmm. like. You do get to walk around in a lot of a fairy tale. Now, does someone eventually sleep with your husband and, you know, a baby dies and I don't know, I'm just like life still happens and it gets complicated in there. But here's this young person, a true believer who does get to walk around in in parts of a fairy tale uh, or 
he could choose a different path. So, and guys, just FYI, he looks like a more ethereal Heath Ledger. He does have softer, he is like a softer featured Heath Ledger, which secretly might be why I, he is my favorite character, but I'd like to think it has at least half to do with his acting chops. Um, he, But, he, you know, I'm, I'm teasing, but yes, really, really incredible um, struggle of, you know, what to do and that, and it does make sense um, on a lot of levels because he is in this, like you've said, blissful, blissful world where everything is good. And we see like in his daughter or not his daughter, I'm sorry, his sister, um, who is a very young child, maybe like eight, seven or eight is like deeply vested, um, in the movement. Uh, here is where I will say my first no with this cult. Okay. We're going to come to it naturally here. Um, I know. That's why I have to get to my, I have to start moving through them now. No, okay. Um, so here's a couple of things and, and you're going to hear my, you're, you know, you're going to hear the Amron in this as it comes out. You're going to hear the Amron narrative, life narrative in this. But for me, I cannot with the true believer thing, I cannot with instilling children with religious beliefs before their brains are formed. It is unethical to me. I think it is un- unacceptable. Um, I do not think it is appropriate to integrate children when they do not have working brains and they are devoted to you and tell them this is the way, the truth, and the life. You have no other choice and we believe this fully. I think there is no greater disadvantage you could give a sentient human being that is your own than to tell them there's only one thing that is right and it is this and I'm right about it and you're two years old. I think that's wrong. Um, and I think that we see that trauma coming out in the daughter um, as the show goes on. And eventually, of course, major spoiler, her father leaves um, and she's writing in her invisible ink pen. Daddy, come back to the light. Please come back to the light. And Daddy, I miss you. I love you. Don't die. Um, and she's a child and she's grappling with these ideas of life and death and human misery that no child should ever have to think about in their entire lives. Um until they turn the ripe age of like 18 and then you can grapple with life and death and angels and hell. Um, but for me, yeah, it to be very real. That is, even though this is totally fictional and very important for the plot and I'm eating it alive. I love it so much in real life. That's where we hit a line for me. And I say, I, I truly believe that that is unethical. And I, this is a really hot take that I have because I honestly think this is true for most things. I don't, I, which means that I would hold the standard against, practicing religious people and their children still which i i know people will have hot takes on and it is a personal opinion and i'm not issuing a judgment necessarily to anybody besides the people in this show who are definitely fucking it up um (laughs) but i did yes exactly and i yeah i'm not about i'm not about that i'm not about inundating children with any kind of information that you're saying is an ultimate truth i think it has to be learned and discovered for yourself and i think that if you believe in like child baptism question mark for me how can you confirm a child unless it's like infant baptism which is you know but how can you confirm a child into a lifelong relationship with a with divinity uh before before they know. Yeah, they have no idea what you're talking about. Now you've had them signed into something. And then with the path, there and there are other groups like this. If you leave and you have known the truth, right? You're, this Hawk is 16 years old. He has committed to know the truth by the end of the season, right? Which means if he leaves, he'll be a denier, suffer in hell for eternity, never see his family again. He's 16 years old. That's on his shoulders. 
unacceptable in my opinion. I won't go on any further, but I think that makes sense. And unfortunately for that religion, like again, in the Amish who shun very hard, you you actually don't get shunned if you don't choose to make that commitment. And that religion, you're in at birth. And so if you leave at 16, it doesn't matter if you took vows or not, you're a denier. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that is my my first level of trepidation, I would say, with with this particular group. And because uh, I want to draw a line between things that happen in the show, in the cult, and things that are like beliefs that they are and, and consistent traditions they're implementing, right? Because there are things that Hugh Dancy's character does that the entire cult would not be signing off on. You know, like they are not on board with everything that Mr. Dancy is up to. It's a major plot point, actually. Um, so what, what she's referring to, guys, is that he is, uh, in, he is the leader because the actual leader is in absentia. And he is having to grapple with leading an organization rather than just following a religion. So he is having to literally think, how do I pay these fucking property taxes? How do I, you know, like, how do I keep people on board? I believe this so fervently. Should I not be sending this message out to other people, even though my leader said not to? So he is doing real questionable. There's nothing questionable that can be done that he hasn't done. I can't think of anything. Literally is committing every sin that exists. Every sin. He is finding it and commit coveting your neighbor's wife. Done. He's on it. You want murder? He's done it. Done. Check. Endangering children, beating people up, rage, greed. It literally, I cannot think of a single sin. This guy didn't. Impregnating your subordinates. Check. Check. Literally anything that you can think of that you wouldn't want a guy that was coming into his own as a leader of a commune to do this man is doing that um however he is also a true believer he is just having to struggle with things that other people don't have to worry about so they can be freer to be like whatever it's all in the light and he's like all right well i have to answer to the irs like you know love light in the irs that's the that's what it's like for a for a cult leader exactly yeah he's yeah no and he is it is i really like the way that they do hugh dancy's character and i mentioned this to you actually before we started recording jesse i think they really knock him out of the park and of course the performance by the actor himself is is uh, very good um but yeah i i am i am really crazy about the character i think he brings a lot to the show he is so unhinged um and and nefarious and uh, lying and just up to no good. And it manages to spin even stuff that's very well intended by other members of the, the movement into devious evil things, which I feel like is a great example of why sometimes communities have issues and it could be just like one dude. Yeah, well, because everybody has to then often suffer the consequences, you know, I mean, my husband's community was under a 30 day ex-husband, everybody uh, was under a 30 day armed government siege when he was a child because the leaders didn't pay the taxes. Well, the leaders didn't pay the taxes. So like now the FBI is aiming guns at your kids. You, your kid didn't not pay the taxes, but everybody goes down on the same ship, you know? I was in a community meeting once. Um, I'll never name the commune, but I was I was at this random small commune, and uh, uh, the, we they lost a uh, visitor. He disappeared, but his stuff didn't disappear, and his family started asking where he was. 
Um, and no, nobody knew. They really didn't know. You know, there, there was nothing nefarious happening. But the suspicion was perhaps in such a rural area, he had taken his own life, right? Um, because there, we just couldn't think of another answer. Um, so there was a secret membership meeting about what do you do if you find a body? Because now it's going to look real bad to the cops, right? So the quiet consensus is to not walk there again. <laughs> but like, <laughs> now we're all in on it, which we didn't want to be, right? <laughs> You've made us all complicit in whatever choice you made because we all live here. Like now we're all... Yeah. So just a, a real life example of of how one person's choices in a community, you have no choice but to take it on if you're there and it gets brought to light. Wow. Yes, that is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly that's exactly what I what I mean is, you know, so many people I feel like in the commune that you see. Well, I'm using I'm just using so many words interchangeably in the movement in the path that you see. um living their lives like most of them really seem to be trying to do their best you know like for the most part most of them seem like they for, i i have questions about a few of them <laughs> so it, at times he is yeah i think there are times he is trying to do his worst <laughs> so are, there are times when that man is pulling out a secret stash of liquor and i'm like mm -mm -mm, you know what you're doing my friend we we need to be pivoting um but he does but he's at the top of the heap who can he go to to as they say unburden right he can't they unburden to each other so they like do therapy sessions with each other where they make them they take everything off their conscience which is beautiful and great they're always at a clear state because they're always unburdening he can't unburden to anybody there's nobody parallel to him um also you can't unburden murder for realsies, <laughs> you know, or like, so yeah, that's gonna. I really thought he was going to at one point, but that is gonna that is gonna sit with him uh, until until yeah yeah until ultimately. Well, spoiler alert: he does eventually unburden it to someone, and um, yeah, that's not super surprising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and then just like I said, that person is stuck with it too, right? It just yeah. I, I, what I like about this show so much is as you you know more succinctly put it an hour ago, <laughs> like just that they are so astute about what it is to live communally, particularly when uh, you don't just live communally, you share an end of the world level, deep belief system. If you just live in a utopian hippie commune, if you don't like it or somebody kills somebody, you can be like, oh, I'm off the ship. And like, that's it. Like maybe nobody will talk to you at your last dinner. Maybe. That's that's about the worst that's going to happen, you know, but like you don't lose your family. You don't get harassed. They, in this show, they do harass people who leave. Um, so it's it's an interesting. And as we go into the second season, uh, it only has three seasons. But as you go into the second season, you see a couple of interesting things in the first season they all worship the light, right? The light is the source of everything. When you climb the rungs of the ladder and you learn yeah. new revelations and have new ayahuasca trips and personal revelations on each rung of the ladder, um, it's all very ethereal. It's all very spiritual. You're in this interesting religious movement that everybody believes yes. a very structured thing. And yet 
they're all tripping a lot and getting their own personal res- rev- revelations constantly. So, um, but it's it's a lot of magical thinking. Oh, the light will mm-hmm. provide. Oh, we'll all be in the light. Oh, well, afterwards, we'll all be in the garden together, right? It's a lot of magical thinking. So as the audience, we're able to sit back and go, oh, I wouldn't believe that. That's magical thinking. Oh, that sounds silly, right? And so in the first season, you're just asking yourself, would I live right. in this community despite not believing any of this silly bullshit? Right. Because it's a lovely community, which is what Eddie, the main character, is grappling with because he has lost his faith. And he says overtly toward right. the end, it's okay with me to live in this community and not have my faith. I'd mm-hmm. rather have my family and my community. I don't really care that I don't believe right. anymore. But they say, we care and you can't be here without your faith. Right. So the decision is made for him. But he does say what we're all asking ourselves in season one. This all seems like a fairy tale. But would I still do it because it's a beautiful community? And his main character's answer is yes. But he doesn't get to they, they don't tolerate that. In season two, almost immediately, you see Hawk, the son. Um, the dad in leaving makes mm-hmm. the son want to go farther into the movement and recommit himself, right? That's kind of his pushback reaction to that. So he gets real, real dedicated and he starts climbing the rungs of the ladder, going through all the classes. And so one of the classes, I won't describe it, but it's this elaborate overnight really beautiful ritual because all of the rituals are beautiful and amazing and I want to do all of them. So it's this over, actually I I will describe it. It's an overnight um, event where they take away Mm -hmm. all of your light, right? Because they're, they're a light based Mm -hmm. religion. Mm -hmm. And so how do you find the light in the literal darkness? Right? So it's pretty beautiful. There's this great, you know, great things happen. But in the morning when Hawk sees the light again, he's by himself and he's like standing on this boulder looking from the mm-hmm. woods at the, at the yeah. sun coming up. And he fucking levitates two feet off the boulder. Sure. And so this is supposed to tell us and then a whole bunch of other stuff happens through the thing. All of this, you know, this is telling us, oh, hang on. Mm-hmm. This actually is real. Yeah. None of this was magical thinking. This is all literally real. Right. So in the second season, the first season, we have to grapple with what do we think of this cult and community? Do we like it or not? We don't believe the religion. Second season comes along and you have to go, okay, hang on. What if I do believe the religion? Now the premise is that the religion is in fact real. Right. Now, how do I deal with the outside world? Well, I was just going to say, I think that part of the the first season, I um, narratively is really well done because what they do is they take you from, as you're describing, what's very common within a group like this, which is uh, a converted believer having a crisis of faith and threatening some true believers within the group. We've talked about um, how family connections increase the likelihood of people being pulled out of communities like those before. So this makes sense. We start seeing him. Um, and then there is your the whole time throughout the season, he is struggling with the fact that he had a vision when he was on ayahuasca or he actually literally saw the leader in a comatose state, Steve Meyer. Um, and he's sort of dealing with that. And then a lot of other imagery. It's their belief that their leader can't die. He will only merge with the light. To, so to see him in a bed dying means it's all bullshit. It means it's fake because Steve Mayer literally wrote the book on this. He is the one that transcribed the ladder. Like if it's not real for him, it can't be real for anyone. He's the prophet basically um, is sort of the extension. I don't know if you can, I I actually think that there's argument that you could make there. However, um, 
we won't get it. We won't, I won't argue for the people in the path here, but, but, um, <laughs> but, um, they, yeah, so they start out, we're following it and there are the visions that continue throughout, which on their own throughout the first season are giving us an idea that perhaps this is not bullshit. Um, whenever you're seeing more and more people having visions, not on drug trips, um, that are synonymous with the visions they were having on the trips. That is something that becomes very, uh, very prominent in the show is very important. A lot of the same symbolism, uh, specifically big snakes, constrictor snakes and, uh, birds. Yeah. Uh, specifically like white, almost purplish owls and then dead raptors, um, which, this symbolism is very interesting. It makes a lot of sense if you, um, we won't get way into the weeds here, but whenever you look at the religions that they're pulling from and the elements that they're coming into, you'll understand that the symbolism is very connected to the, to, to the show pointing towards this is real. Um, this is not fake. Aaron, and what I love, and I don't, I don't want you to tell me because I am excited to see how this plays out. But I do love the way that the good and evil fight is being set up in the first season, I would argue, between good and evil being strong terms and relative, between Hugh Dancy's character who is desperate to take power that's not being given to him as a cult leader, and Aaron Paul and Michelle Monaghan stepping into the power that is ascending over them. Because we do see them both bring a baby maybe back to life in this season. Uh, and I do not think it is a coincidence that Aaron Paul and Michelle McMonaghan um, heal a child in heal a, literally an infant baby. They literally both separately. Yes. One of them literally brings a baby back to life. That's born stillborn and is not breathing. And then, which can happen. I will say that doesn't always have to be a miracle that thank God that does happen. Um, and, also is referenced in the show to have happened with Hawk, the baby when Michelle had, when Michelle's character had him. So this is like a recurring thing they're, they're talking to, but we see that power in her. And then a very pivotal moment in the show in the first season is when Aaron Paul heals the FBI agent who is investigating them undercovers baby right before open heart surgery. Um, and that's like the big season one, one of the big, big points. Um, and I love I think narratively that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen um, in terms of those like little ways that you're like, Oh, Oh wait, because the watcher is having the same like question of faith that you're describing. And we're gaining faith at the end of the season that this is real. Um, and that maybe Hugh Dancy's character who's pushed himself into this position of power is going to be challenged by people with real power emerging in their lives which is kind of an exciting smoking gun sort of element so i won't spoil it for you but i will say there's a shift in the second and more so in the third season where it becomes very clear and in fact becomes the storyline that aaron paul's character who started out in the first episode with the crisis of faith by the end of the first mm -hmm. season he's left the faith he's a denier he is not spoken to in theory by the rules he can never come back regardless um right we see in the second and more in the third season that, um, in fact, the light has chosen him as the leader. And so mm, yes. he's basically, basically the light pursues him 
until mm-hmm. he must acknowledge it as a his as a real faith and he is left with no choice to go but to go back right So then there's this power struggle between a person who the light has chosen for power, but really doesn't want it and doesn't even want to go back to what he now perceives as a cult, (laughs) except he's Mm -hmm. like, fuck, it's the true religion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, um, right, right. And the other guy who has taken control, um, wants the power. um, But this is what's so beautiful about this show to me, now I understand the guy that's taking control has done many bad things, but he is a true believer. He is not the bad guy. I am going to spoiler alert this for you and it won't ruin the show for you, but you later find out that the guy who takes leadership, who you do know in the show was abandoned by his shitty ass parents pretty early on and was basically raised as a son by the leader. Guess what? He was fucking sexually abused by the leader because that's what you find out about fucking cult leaders like 99% of the time, right? So like, he is a damaged person, but he believes in their religion truly because it saved him, right? By his perception. And so even though he does lots of shitty things, neither of them are a bad guy. And so they're they're both facing leading this religion. I think he's a bad guy, Jesse. I'm I'm going to push back on you. Because of his actions. <laughs> no, I mean, because of his actions and because of the fact that he takes control when he's told explicitly that Steve has no interest in him being the leader and he says, no, I'm taking control. Anyway, I think that is bad. I'm going to be like, personally, I think he lies to the entire congregation, misleads them and intentionally tries to usurp the power and someone else's wife in the process, which is, I think, bad. I do not. I think even if you're a true believer, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's okay. Okay. Personally. Amron, I hear you. <laughs> I'm so interested to hear what, so I love the look on your face. You're like, she got, she was kind of excited. I can tell when she, she was like, I hear you, but. <laughs> Let me advocate for cult leaders everywhere. From this guy's perspective, he believes the religion. He believes that it's headed up. This is a new religion that is literally only one generation old. It started in the 70s and they're in the 2000s. Yeah. So so it's a young, young, young young religion. Like the founders are still there in the room. Right. Oh, yeah. So he perceives that the light is true, which he's right. According to the storyline, he's right. Um, But that. It's basically run by a handful of literal pot smoking hippies who are doing a lot of ayahuasca, are stoned a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. It's actually part of their cultural rules that they dress like it's still the 70s, which I can't say enough good things about. Um, Love that. (laughs) And that they only listen to music from the 70s because it's like more edifying. So here he is looking at these people and he's like, you're going to kill this fucking true religion before it gets off the ground because you're a bunch of fucking hippies and you can't pull your shit together. And I believe this so much that even though you're telling me I shouldn't be the leader, you're wrong. And I am going to make this. So I truly don't I like. I see that point. He definitely yeah. shouldn't have banged that chick. But <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's some things there's some things well, I mean and and he's a complicated character because and we've this is this is not the first time we've talked about this but he also deals with alcoholism which as we've discussed before is a disease and the character is in in battle after being exposed to alcohol not by his own will um by his toxic abusive mother yes which I have to I don't want to be cruel to the character 
and thus the archetype of the character by denying that piece of information, which is very relevant in a lot of the really bad decisions he makes. He's also really egged on by certain characters, specifically one of the the girl that he sleeps with that he shouldn't sleep with that's very damaged. Um, she is really pushing him to do that um which you know coercing him a bit which i mean you know there's a there's a big discussion there so he is definitely a nuanced character and i do very much take your point that as a true believer he feels this weight um that he alone is feeling and then as you've expressed earlier as an is it 8r that he's at that no one else is at he can't unburden anybody so i really In this first season, because they don't they don't have all the rungs written. Oh, you're right. It goes up to thirteen. So he writes the last three. So they are ten. Are yeah. So so he yeah. They're they're way way up there. And so he is in a really complicated spot. And I think that that's I think that's a really important point to make, and the kind of point that you should make on this show because that's a little bit of the nuance of the character right there. Also something that he does, which he definitely didn't have to do in a power hungry person exclusively wouldn't do is he's making all this shit up, right? Like he was actually explicitly told by the leader, you absolutely are not going to be the next person. Um, and then the second in charge told him that. And so he killed him. <laughs> right. So yes, they told him to shut up. <laughs> yeah. So he did. He said, you're going to die now. They say on they say in the synopsis, by the way, that that was on accident. They say I want to know the viewers' opinions on this. The listeners, please chime in. They say that this they're like he accidentally murders the guy. Okay, how is that? A, how is that murder an accident? I, ha, I I'm kidding in some ways because I know that like I've never I've never been in any situations like this. Thank God I never want to be. But I know that like emotions are high and stuff. But he literally stabs this man in the neck with a with a broken vase. I've never accidentally done anything like that. And it does seem like kind of a strange <laughs> inference. How did you feel about the the accidental nature of the stabbing? So first of all, I think there are a lot of people walking around alive and well in this world who are that way because I didn't have a shard of broken pottery in my hand at the wrong moment. <laughs> so you're welcome to all those people. Pottery away. Yes. Help us out. I love it. I think literally if this video were shown, shown in a court of law, what he'd be convicted of is um, either manslaughter or um, second degree murder, which is unplanned. It's a crime of passion. So it's accidental in the in the sense that I think in the exact moment, I don't think he was thinking, I'm going to kill you. I think he was thinking, stop. I see. Yeah, he was like tripping and he just was, he just wanted it to stop. And so he hit him, but he happened to be holding the, I can see, yeah, I can see it. I I, I can see it. I did have to, I did laugh though. I watched the scene. I saw the, 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 the recap and I was like, yeah, okay. But you, the way you're describing it does make more sense because it, it was unplanned. No one could argue that it was planned by any means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, just total, total segue for less than a minute. Years ago, I was working at a strip club and uh, strippers are street fighters. I am not a good one, but don't tell them that because they're tough bitches and I don't want to tangle with them. Another time I'll tell you my own survival techniques for working with such tough girls when I'm not tough. But these two girls, and I'm talking about girls, I was new to the game at that moment. And these are girls who I'm working on the East Coast in kind of a tough area at the time. And I was young. 
and they had like stab wound scars in their body. They'd be like, oh, this is where I got knifed here. This is where I got shot here. Like these are tough fucking girls. So one day I liked to read or so I liked to read Amish novels in the dressing room when I wasn't on stage (laughs) like you do. And so I was back like quietly reading or hand sewing, which is the other thing I would do in the back. Two two very average backstage activities, yes. And these two girls started fighting, like fist fighting in a very small, the dressing room used to be a mop closet to just make you understand. And there were still mops in it. So very tight quarters, um, but you go back there to change clothes and put on your makeup. These two girls started fighting while one of them had been cutting her pasties. Oh, boy. You have to cut your pasties in the shape of your areolas, right? Of so course. Been cutting her pasties. They start fist fighting while this girl had been cutting her pasties. So they're fist fighting, but one of them fully has a pair of scissors sticking out of her fist. And this would have been exactly the scene in the path is why I'm bringing this up. This would have been the exact scene in the path. She was not trying to kill this person. She was trying to punch this person, but there were scissors sticking out of her hand. So I like put down my book and I was, I don't have the strength or the street skills to break this fight up. And I'm not, I don't have any skin in the game anyway, but I would like reached into the brawl and just like got the scissors out of her. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to just get right in here. Just I'm going to take this. (laughs) Excuse me. Pardon me. Ladies, one second. Pause. Pause. One. Hey, wait. (laughs) That's literally what I did. I was like, I'm just going to slip in. I I can see it. That's the perfect level of involvement. Um, I would say that was very street smart. Just a small intervention. Like, I don't think anybody needs to die today. You guys just figure this out right now. Uh, No, that's a very good point and an apt story to tell because truly, you know, things... Things can escalate so quickly. Um, and, and this was one of those. This was a non-premeditated moment of pottery uh, stabbage. So that... Pottery murder. Pottery murder. Which is apt for a guy that came up from Peru. It is apt. I feel like the Peruvian guy, even in death, really had everything locked down. I That guy honestly seemed so put together. Um, the whole cause is definitely worse off now that he's out of it um, because he clearly had his boots on the right way. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about that. I am so interested, by the way, and this is, it's not a tangent because it's literally in the show, but I just had one thing, one sort of like sporadic thing I wanted to ask your opinion on, the meaning mm-hmm. of in the show. Okay. And, it's yeah. per- and and you've seen all three seasons. So if this is like a major plot point um, that will ruin the entire show, just say that. But the Pashamama that yeah. si- Silas leaves for Michelle's character, Mm -hmm. um, Sarah. First of all, love that that happened. Love that she had a dream and that it was terrifying because I love, and I I would apologize if I'm mispronouncing the Pashamama name because I I think that's right. Very powerful deity. Love to see the idol, um, especially popping up within this religion, right? And especially coming to Sarah, who is being curated and led uh, in some level ways to be kind of this mother figure divine type true believer um from the illusions of the first season um i wondered if you had any any other thoughts on that on that symbolism in relation to this to this point oh i that's such a good question and i would have to have like delved further into all the meaning behind that before i i answered you so maybe i can come back 
on our review day with a better answer for that. That's so good. I'm sure it was such a great reference to like her as a mother because that's her ultimate role and all of those things. But right, because she's because she's Pachamama is a, is the Earth Mother. She's a fertility goddess. She's like the she she brings in the harvest is one thing. Um, so that's something that I thought I was like, okay, it could be sort of a symbolism of like it's you. You're gonna bring the harvest in of the people and like the great mothering way. So I was excited. And if any any listeners have any thoughts about that. Um, prior to the recap, you'll have to write in and let us know because I thought that was a really interesting moment. I will say this one thing. Um, so when her son in the first season, initially, like he gets busted, banging this girl, eating a bite of meat, you know, all the wrong things, basically drinking a non-soy latte, um, which once I drank a regular latte and my vegan boyfriend said to me, spoiler alert, it didn't work out between us. Um <laughs> I think that was the same one that wanted to eat the bird. Anywho, or not. I've dated a lot of those guys. So um <laughs> anywho, um, so something that happens when he gets outed for all these things, he says, I'm actually gonna leave. I'm not gonna do it. Hawk does. He he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically be English, I'm gonna be outside of the church. Um, and she locks into her spiritual beliefs and says, You're dead to me, you don't live here, you can live on the street. Um, and her husband, who has decided he doesn't believe in the religion but hasn't left the community, is appalled by this, right? Because he's like, no, our kid is more important. You know, what the fuck are you doing? Because he's already in his head, already left the beliefs. Right. But she's in the beliefs. And so she's like, there's nothing to be said. A denier is a denier. And, and I'm at the highest level. And I can't treat anybody any different. Right. And that's her response to that. Now, later, when her hus- her son comes back, her husband leaves. And now she's expected to never let her husband see her kids again. Right. Um, and never let them see their father. And she actually can't do it. So she very much violates her beliefs, her vows, and she very secretly, and this is really scary, she could be kicked out herself, right? Um, plus, she's a leader in the community. Um, but she she leaves, she leaves her beliefs behind and chooses the role of the mother mm-hmm. in protecting her kids from losing their dad. Right. Which is a sacrifice for her. So, right. Especially as a uh, well appointed um, true believer, because the character, Michelle's character in the show, is not only a true believer, which of course implies that she's born into it, but also a more important family strain of true believers than perhaps an average person is the implication. They don't go so far as to give like a full family tree where they're like, here's why she's so important. But we do get the vibe as you, I don't know what your experience is, but as I have found to be true in a lot of groups, which is that certain legacy, you could almost say strands of people get special treatment or certain levels of authority, which we do see with her character. Um, even though she is 10 R, as you say, um, she does sort of move freely about the, the movement's facilities and it has access to anything that she wants to see largely because her parents are instilled in of positions of protecting information, etc. She is kind of the princess because she is a, a first generation born into the religion. Right. Exactly. One of almost no others, right? Almost everyone is joining this brand new religion. Her parents founded it. She is born into it. So she's first generation full Meyerist which is a big deal, Um, which actually brings me to one of the things that I wanted to say. I think 
let me back up for one second. I think I didn't finish a thought earlier, which was that um, Cal, the leader who we are disagreeing on whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, um, he does check himself by, even though he's, this is all a lie and he's not supposed to be the leader, he tells Sarah that they're both supposed to co-lead, which I think is an interesting move and says it's not just about power for him because he didn't assume ultimate power. He literally gave 50% of it to her. And I think that he did that as a check on himself because he knows his proclivities. Oh, interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Um, Hmm. Wow. We are truly different sides of the aisle on this because I am cynical about him, about Cal. And when he did that for me, I mean, he is in love with her. His computer password name is her name or his computer password is her name. Like we see that. And um, when I saw it, I saw it as even more of a power grab. I saw him. I saw it as like, not only am I am I going to seize this group and lead this group? I'm also going to sweep in whenever this man's wife is vulnerable and take her, too, because I want her. Oh, he swept in. I think he did both things. I, yeah. And I, and I was going to say, that's actually what I was going to say is I think it can be both, especially because we see a, such a conflicted character in Cal. I think it can literally be him both warring against himself. Like I need help and being a bad, bad influencer. But he's both, at, he's both at every move. He's both at every move. Everything he does is both at the same time, which is such an interesting look at a spiritual leader, which I think in real spiritual leaders is so often the case. Ah, uh, yes. A, a very interesting point. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of stress being at the top like that. Yeah. And you, and the, and yeah, you have to think about things differently than other people who just get to enjoy believing. It's really interesting. Right. Uh, one thing that I wrote down about this religion uh, that I think is really cool is that, you know, there's there's a category of religions that is just for new religions. Also, new religions are not entirely American, but almost entirely American. Yeah, that's right. True. Mormonism is a new religion. Maybe right? this is. Yeah, Meyerism is very new religion of the 70s. And something that I think is really cool about that is that, you know, when we talk about Christianity, for example, right? Anything we're talking about happened thousands of years ago. There's barely any historical, you know, uh, proof of any of it. There's some, don't need to get in the weeds on that, but, but uh, it was a long fucking time ago, right? Nobody is firsthand telling us anything no. about christianity right or or any of the major world religions which are mostly abrahamic anyway they're all on the same timeline right the the major world religions they're all very old but it's so cool to me when there's a new religion because for example one of the founders of uh Meyerism, um has burned hands visibly burned hands because Stephen Meyer got to ascend the ladder of light and he got to go up to the 10th rung right and she tried to climb the ladder behind him and couldn't hang on because it burned her hands so badly. And this happens to other people it does, yeah. um, in the group as well, as they try to go higher than they're allowed to on the ladder, their hands get burned, right? But she is one of the leaders. And so it's a big part of their faith to look at her burned hands, right? So I just think it's so interesting to have a religion that's so new that the founders of it are like still there in the breadline with you, right? And so you're not like, ah, oh, yes, blessed be Sheila, who 2000 years ago burned her sacred hands. You're like, no, it's she's it's actually Sheila over there. <laughs> like, you can, Sheila, right? Right. 
I will see you later when we're weeding in the garden. Yes. Blessed be you, Sheila. Hey, what's up? Right. Yeah. Can I get you some more water? Yeah. That Sheila right there. Could I get some advice leader, Sheila? That's Sheila. Yeah, no. And on it, that would, honestly, that is a great draw for people coming into the, if you could tell me like, oh, we got the guy right here. Yeah, the guy that wrote it, he's here. I'd be like, oh shit, let me talk to him. Come here. Especially if it was Sheila, then I'd really be in. But yeah, I'd be like, uh, give me Sheila, please. You know, like, and I do mean literally Sheila in the show. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, that's, that's a great point. That's a really good point. I think that's just so cool about new religions. I really like that. Um, and I think we're kind of coming toward the, the end of our discussion here, but, um, something that I loved about it all the way through, um, having lived in many, many communities, I'm constantly accused of being in a cult, which is why this show is called cults. I join and why you can assume that I'm generally not actually calling anybody a cult, but, um, you know, people were always trying to, in fact, someone listened to my podcast who I know from a different context and called me up. This is a person I don't talk to on the phone a lot. We're not, anyway, he called me up because he was like, I'm listening to your podcast and I know your history and I don't understand what, why do you keep talking about communes and cults? Like they're different things. What uh, do you think yeah, is the difference? Big difference. Right. <laughs> And like, to me, like it comes down to if you have a leader, if you have a leader, I'm not saying you are a cult, but there's an argument to be made. Whereas if you don't have a leader, I don't see how there's an argument to be made that you're a cult. Right. So, but anyway, as a person who's always accused of that and anybody in the communities movement is, and anybody in just about any churches, I, I really liked how all the way through everybody is like, yeah, so that culture in. So anyway, you and your cult, and they're always like, it's a movement. <laughs> it is fun. I do love them increasingly yelling that it's a movement to people throughout this course of the show, um, which is also, if any, like, also why I kept going, it's a movement in the beginning of the podcast. Because they keep, they keep correcting you. Because they keep saying it. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, and definitely, definitely one of those struggles. I also, would, just going back to the aesthetics for a minute. So everybody's dressing in 70s clothes. Everybody's only listening to 70s music. Uh, there's gardens everywhere. The food is communally served and made. You know, there's a clinic for your medical needs. The houses are lovely and uh, tidy and fairly identical. Um, they have even like there are extended families there because you don't leave the Myers movement if you're in on the compounds. But I also like that there's a lower level you can join where you're just out in the world and you're like, yeah, I read all their books. I wear the little jewelry. I think of it as my base religion, but I don't like go way into it. Um, I like that there's that level for people. And then I like that there's the fully committed level where you're all up in it. Um it did look like all of the nicer, better established communes that I've been to. Aesthetically, it's very clear that they studied that and and replicated it and they did a great job. Um, so I would want to live in all of those places. They're really lovely. Um, but their worship space is like that big red barn with a giant window to let all the light in. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah, that is beautiful. And I love that. One other thing that I loved is that they had a whole bunch of prescribed prayers or blessings that everybody knows. So like everybody chants the same one before they eat and everybody chants the same one when they meet and everybody chants and they're different. They're all different for the occasion, right? So remember when the baby was born, there was like 
a scripted greeting, Meyerist greeting for the baby. You know, oh, may yes. you walk in light, mm-hmm. may you know the light, may you, you know, and what, there's one thing that they always say to each other. And why didn't I write it down? Uh, when the darkness comes, we are the light. And that's what they always mm-hmm. say to each other. Okay, well, when the darkness comes, we are the light. I really love that. <laughs> like, I really, that is very nice. that's so anchoring, right? Like, we all have these ritualistic, really beautiful and well thought out prayers that we say for any life event. And we say them together mm-hmm. and we say them around the dinner table. I just think that's really anchoring and affirming. I really like that. Now, this goes against your don't raise people as true believers thing. Um, Big time. <laughs> it does. It does. But you know what? I, I didn't say this when you were saying what you feel, but I don't raise my son as a true believer. I tell my son, listen, I was raised in Christian theology. I'm so steeped in it that it's fine with me to use it as my own religious filter. Um, but I don't think it's more true than anyone else's religion. Um, and so here I'll teach you what I know about spirituality, but, you know, and I want you to know that, but I don't, I don't think any one person or group has the answers. So that's what I teach my son. However, the fact that I'm not raising him as a true believer when I was raised as one makes to me, it feels in my heart, like the biggest disservice I give him because being a true believer made me feel so sure and so secure and so, um, happy, right? Like it's all in a neat package. We're all going to live in the garden. When, when you're in darkness, I'll be the light. Like I loved thinking that. And, you know, here we watch the show and we see people when they get confronted with the outside world, it's hard because the outside world doesn't let you live like that and believe like that. You can't go out and work a shitty job and still really feel like you're in the light all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it does make sense. It does make sense. I think, yeah, I definitely get that. I definitely feel like, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It really comes down. I think what's hard about this is it comes down to personal, personal beliefs and, and personal preferences. And that's so tough whenever you're talking about kids and you're in the position of being a parent because you can't set your, infant baby down when it emerges the womb and say so what are your thoughts on theology you know which direction would you like me to take you here you know we could go this way this way I know that like many parents if that was an option they would they want to they would want to know what their child wanted and and they really do want to instill that's what makes it such a hot topic is like you want to set your child up for the best life and give them the all the advantages that you could possibly provide to them as a great parent and yeah, how could I, you know, as I can only speak about something like this through a veil, right? Because I don't have a child. I'll, I don't know until I, until if and when I reach that point in my life, I wouldn't know what that conflict felt like. Um, and so acknowledging that difference between our journeys and our experience there is really important because on some level I do, I could only speak for myself. You know what I mean? I could only speak selfishly on some level while theorizing about what I would do in a different situation, but it will only ever be theory until it's not. Well, no, of course. Um, but I just, you know, it's interesting. I'm not raising my son as a true believer. Right. No. Um, but it is, it is my greatest feeling of guilt as a parent that I'm not, Mm -hmm. but I don't have a thing to hand him and go, you know, you're right. I would be bullshitting him. I can't, I don't have all the answers. Um, but I loved being a true believer growing up that way so very much 
And so much of me wishes I could get back to that feeling, which is why I'm constantly joining cults. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that makes sense. You know, hitting the wall of the real world was excruciating. Yeah. And, and, you know, put me decades behind the development of my peers as far as like them owning houses and having jobs and getting how the world works and having social security numbers, you know, (laughs) all of those little mini school to major things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know that, but yeah. So, so which is better the, the bliss of being a true believer which then gets you get hit in the face with the world at some point, which is inevitable Um, or never having that face punch, but never having that bliss. I don't know. I think that's the crux of, of all. And that's why I think the path is really a great show because it gets you to have to ask those questions. So, all right, Amarin really does. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jesse, are you joining? Are you joining the Meyerist movement? Only to dismantle it from the inside, unfortunately. I know. I I know that's... Cameron, I will rat you out to the leadership. Yeah, well, I'm more powerful than that, unfortunately. I, I've, I've levitated. I have the visions, and I'm coming for them. Um, no, I'm kidding. I do... Um, I love so many pieces of the path. I love a lot of parts of what they are doing aesthetically. I think if we could live in that blissful pre-season one world where they have no trouble, then maybe, maybe. Um, but I think the um, it's the, what we talked about, it's the shunning, it's the um, manipulation, which we, di- which we didn't name, but we did talk about in today's episode. Um, I, I am so resistant to low-scale manipulation. I hate when people try to manipulate other people through emotional ploys. Um, there's, there's a lot of that in the show. So that takes me out pretty hard. Um, I would need them to be more intellectual with each other, and we could have a match made in heaven. And what I mean by that is more like if I have a problem with you or something you're doing, I just clearly communicate that. I don't say, you'll feel so much better when you do the thing that we make you do. Drink the juice. You know, like, I can't do that. I would straight up backhand a woman if she said that to me. I'd be like, don't fucking talk to me like that ever again. Bam. Like, that just, I can't do that That subtle mind meld gaslight thing. I don't like that. So that's what takes me out. Unfortunately, I react badly to that too. But I want to be a better cult member than that. <laughs> and you can be Jesse if you. you just commit. You can get you can lose your your cynical nature that is too brash on me <laughs> one day. I will absolutely join the Myris movement. I'm all in with both feet. And when Amarin comes to me and tells me that she wants to dismantle it, what I'm going to do is report her to the elders. <laughs> and then what the elders are going to do is take her to a white room with an eye symbol in it. They're going to lock her in there for a week to two weeks and feed her only hallucinogenic green juice until she trips and the light corrects her. That's right. Sorry, Amarin. I'm giving you the juice. I'm getting the juice. Yeah, I'll be right back in before you know it is how this is clearly going to go. So guys, if you see me going through various personality phases and slowly just going back to where I once was, Jesse did report me to the leaders and I am drinking the juice. Come save me. Yes. No, I'm kidding. Ah, yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. No, I, I aesthetically, I've got to rate this group high. I've got to, t- I've got to give them. I probably give them a seven, an eight, even for the aesthetic. 
Um, and I honestly couldn't rate them on like a craziness, wackadooiness scale because I am having a tough time separating out their beliefs from like the stuff that's actually happening in the show after seeing season one. So I'd say they're pretty crazy is what I would yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just give them that. I'll say you guys are pretty wild is what I would, would assess. Yes. Okay. Okay. I too would give them a seven or eight on the aesthetic scale. And, and that's enough for me to, to jump in. Also, they clearly recruit extremely hot people. They are all so good looking. You can't deny it. So I'm a yes on on all the friends. Guys, Amron won't be joining the path with us. Let us know in our Facebook group, which is Cults I Join, uh, whether or not you join the path. I'm curious to say who's going to be in the garden with me. Yeah, curious to see who's going to survive, who's going to make it to the end. Um, won't be me, it sounds like, but t- I just need some more juice. So I'm going to take a break and <laughs> have some green juice and I'll let you guys know how I feel in the recap episode. <laughs> Blessings on your path, Amarin. Uh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Light and love to you. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and when the, when the darkness comes, Jesse, <laughs> you'll be the light. <laughs> I'll be the light. <laughs> and with that, we wish you all a lighted path. Goodbye. Ooh, If you are loving Cults I Join and want to help us share the fun, here are some actions you can take. Subscribe and share the show on any podcast platform. Rate and review us on Google. This keeps us visible and gives an angel its wings. Or at least that's what our guru says. Follow us at Cults I Join on the .com, the Facebook, and the Insta, and then hit us there with all your comments, discussions, and questions. We really do love hearing what you think. Finally, a huge thank you to our co-creators. Editing and post-production is by DeverWeb, and the biggest thanks to the incomparable Miss Devin Spruill, our theme song creator and performer. You should go soak up her music right now. And that's it, y'all. Thanks for listening, and happy culting! Cult, I join.